Welcome to National Lewis University's Discover You. I'm Megan Lee. May is Asian American Heritage Month, and as an Asian American, I can say for sure, there is no one single story that can explain what it's like to be Asian American. Asian Americans are as diverse and as wonderfully complicated as any other community. And each of those Asian American stories are worth celebrating, and you would only need to listen. In this episode of Discover You, I'm talking with three different individuals about their Asian American identity and why Asian American representation is so important. I begin my conversation with Irby. My name is Irby Tanki, um, and I identify with like the South Asian Indian community, um, sometimes referred to as like the Desi community. What is something that you want people to know about your um, South Asian heritage group? That's a great question. Um, it's it's kind of hard to pick just one thing that would be good to know about my heritage group. Um, but I think um, probably one of the biggest things is understanding that every person that comes from a South Asian heritage or Indian heritage has a slightly different story. It might be different ways that they practice their religion or they might have different religions. There's actually there's a lot of Hindus and Muslims from the region, obviously, but there are also a lot of Christians in South India. There's um, a, there's like a small minority, but small but strong Jewish minority in India as well, which I think is really interesting. So it's 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 very unique also that you know every state, every region might have a slightly different language, and they're they're not even different dialects; they're different languages, different cuisine different ways of practicing the same holiday. Um, so I think it's just, it's sometimes, I mean, as with many cultures, a misnomer to say, okay, this is like the one heritage and here's kind of everything about it. But I think it's so unique because the country's so large and yet there's so many differences within every single person's experience, even if they might come from the same state. As I was growing up in like, you know, the nineties were majority of my like childhood, childhood, um, there, there was some representation, you know, I kind of look back and I see like, oh, you know, there, there was more than I kind of thought and, you know, saw, but I didn't see anyone that really represented myself. There weren't children's shows that, you know, celebrated a lot of Asian or South Asian culture. And, and a lot of times too, I would see Asian representation of like, you know, quote unquote, classic Asian, which is more of the like Eastern Asian, right? Like China, Korea, Japan, like all of those, like what people kind of in their minds think of as Asian. Um, it, it reminds me too, that sometimes I remember I would say that I was Asian and people would tell me you're not Asian, you know, because I just didn't fit their typical image or something. Um, and, and I think that goes to show of like what representation others saw too, you know, they didn't see South Asians being represented. So it was, um, I, I loved my culture and I wanted to always know more about it but I didn't find any books. I didn't see any TV shows that I liked growing up where I saw an, an Indian character. And, you know, the, the biggest character I think we saw of like Indians in media was uh, Apu from The Simpsons, which was like parody in a bad way, <laughs> you know, not necessarily all terrible, but it, it wasn't the representation that I wanted to see knowing what my culture was and was brought up, you know, uh, that being said, on the cultural side of things, you know, I saw a very different image of my culture, you know, in, in kind of some of this like mainstream, like pop culture, not necessarily represented, but what I knew of it, you know, I, my friends would ask me, oh, like, do your parents want you to be a doctor or an engineer or something like there was 
uh, a formation of someone's like collective idea, but you didn't read about it. You didn't hear any nuance. Or if there was a character, it was also maybe some something like Parvati and Padma from Harry Potter, where they just happened to be characters in a book that were Indian. You never didn't really learn anything more about them, you know, and, and what that heritage spoke to. So I feel like I always craved more. And so in that sense, like really gravitated towards learning more about my culture, my religion, because I lacked it in, in school and in other places. How else do you think that lack of representation impacted you? It's interesting to think of its impact because it, it, personally, I don't know life what life would have been like with a strong impact. Um, but what I do see now that I'm so, I, I love to see, and I think this helps me kind of understand what it what, what representation could have meant to me at the time um, is even on Instagram, I see so many people, you know, from my like Hindu community, even um, I, I attended a Hindu Sunday school growing up, that's kind of a national community. And I see a lot of people who are on Instagram now who are like promoting books and media and music and like all of these things celebrating our culture that are popping up in mainstream media and talking about representation. And I think just my image of myself could have and would have been so different had I had some idea of, you know, where I saw myself as an Indian American. I think in a lot of ways, I kind of struggled to see where I fit in society. Um, I used to joke actually that um, when I was at home, you know, and I was going to like my Hindu Sunday school or just like in my element, I, I kind of, my personality showed up differently, but also, you know, everyone called me Urvi, which is like the Indian pronunciation of my name, but then I'd go to school and I was Urvi, and that was like a different image of myself where I was kind of shy and I was timid, and I think it kind of speaks to, I didn't know where I fit, and I went to a really predominantly white school, um, and I remember, you know, also sometimes growing up thinking, <laughs> like, oh, there were a lot of times where uh, my teachers would discuss in class minority groups, and especially minority groups in America. And I would sit there and be like, oh, yeah, life must have been so tough for them. And then I'd be like, wait, hold on, I'm a minority. I'm not white. I'm, you know, I, okay, hold on, I have to rethink that. But then I was like, well, I'm not a typical minority, because we don't talk about Indians, we don't talk about South Asians. I, I also remember in fifth grade, we were learning about the Holocaust and my teacher was trying to just impart on us like the importance and the significance of just, you know, what sort of event it was, right? And so she basically, she was like, yeah, imagine looking around the room and if you didn't have blonde hair, you know, you might have been killed by the Nazis. And she kind of scanned the room and then looked at me and paused. And she said, you know, Ravi, when I look at you, I don't think there were a lot of Indians in Germany during the time. And I was like, and it, like as a fifth grader in my head, I was like, yeah, duh. I didn't think that you were talking about me in the realm that, you know, I was like, I get what you're trying to say with that. It was just, it was so funny because even my teachers were like, I don't really know how to fit you into a category. <laughs> This reminds me of one other thing. I, in uh, high school, we had a world cultures class that every freshman had to take. It was like the history class every freshman had to take. And you learned about Eastern religions. Like for once, we learned about Eastern religions in school, which I was like, oh, this is great. This is cool. I can finally see myself represented even just a little bit, um, except the entire unit. Um, whenever we were learning about Hinduism, my teacher would lecture and then she would turn to me and say, right? 
is, is that right? Is that how you practice this? And it really was that like, <laughs> I, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was like pure tokenization of just, you know, I'm Indian and she, in, in her way was trying to be respectful of saying, I know that you practice this and I might not know a lot about it, but the way she went about it was me speaking for an entire religion. <laughs> Why do you think representation is important? And do you think that with Asian American represent, representation today, is it where you think it should be or is there more work that we can do? I think representation matters because, you know, everyone wants to be able to see themselves and see themselves in the future, see themselves represented in a certain way, or even just see a lot of possibilities for themselves rather than one pigeonhole that, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of ways in which everyone can relate to feeling pigeonholed by someone's opinion of your identity or your own conception of what your identity should be. Um, you know, the representation that I had, I, I'll use like an example to kind of say why I think it matters. You know, I only saw the people around me growing up. You know, I didn't see myself represented in books or in ideas or like artists or other, you know, other professions, other realms in which you can kind of live and identify. Um, so who I saw were the other Indian girls that were older than me who were always very academically minded. They became lawyers, they became doctors. And they also fit into this image of, you know, I'm going to say like, quote unquote, like a good Indian girl that I wanted to be because that's who I saw. And I didn't quite realize that, you know, to be that quote unquote, good Indian girl, yes, you could do these things, but you also could follow a different path and still hold on to the ideals of your culture. And I think representation helps you understand those nuances a lot better of understanding that being tied to your culture or being religious doesn't have to come out in just one way, shape or form. And being able to read books or see TV shows or kind of understand, you know, where, where, what all the possibilities are and how you want to create your image of yourself are really helpful. And I think right now I see a lot more represented about Indian culture in the media, but I, I definitely don't think it is where it should be because I still think I see sometimes like that's those stereotypes kind of coming out, um, you know, and, and things like understanding how to respectfully represent a culture without um, like making a mockery of it kind of. There are sometimes where, um, like I remember growing up, there was a time where someone put an Indian deity on flip-flops and like a huge tenet of our religion is that you, you don't touch your feet to God or anything that you respect, like touching your feet to something is disrespectful. So you don't touch your feet to books or, or God or your parents or like anything that you respect. And it was just such a classic example of like, yes, it's becoming more mainstream. That's great. You know, we want to see Gunnish on different things, but like, how, how could you do this where it's just so disrespectful? And I don't think that was the intention, right? So understanding how you can see that representation and understand even some of those basic tenants, I think would be great to see that representation more widespread. So one of my favorite holidays is Diwali, which is the festival of lights. Um, and all of the Indian uh, calendar, you know, holidays fall on the lunar cycle rather than the solar. So, you know, it comes at a different time every year. Um, but it comes usually, well, there's a lot. I could talk about so many different celebrations, I feel like. But Diwali especially, it's, it's, it's partially like people think of it as the festival of lights, but it's also a story of like the triumph of good over evil as well. And so there's all these, you know, stories about history and, and really they, the festival of lights comes from the idea there was um, 
there was a king, his name was, you know, Lord Ram, who was also an incarnation of God, you know, in Hinduism, we believe in like incarnations and God coming to earth in, in a certain form. So this is like a form of man that he came down to earth in. And without getting too deep into it, he was exiled from his home for 14 years and had to live in the forest with his brother and his wife who came with him. And finally, and everyone wanted him to be king. Again, long story short, you know. So when he was coming home, everyone in his town really wanted to make sure that he could find his way home and they were counting down the days. So they lit all these lanterns to light and guide his way home. And so that's like the day of Diwali is celebrating that he's finally coming home good is coming back, you know, and like we we're going to have this like just society kind of um, and just like the way there's five different days and every day has a different meaning and different traditions. And like I said, everyone celebrates it differently. But some of the like ceremonies and things that you do just have so much meaning to me and evoke so many memories growing up. It's, it's one of my favorite holidays. Is there a favorite Asian American celebrity that you would like to meet? So one is Dev Patel, um, because I think he's, he's done a really interesting, cool job at, um, he, you know, is, is Indian, is Gujarati, and like he broke out in, um, who wants to be a, a, a slumdog millionaire, not who wants to be a millionaire, slumdog millionaire, this is like breakout role, and it was very like endocentric, right? But since then, he's taken a lot of roles and he's become this actor that like is challenging the notion of what it means to be in a certain role. And he's going to be in like some King Arthur movie or something as like one of the men where I really admire like what he's done and how he thinks about the role. Um, and the second person is Aquafina, um, who is, uh, I read this long article about her yesterday and I was like, oh my God, she's, I love her. I think she's hilarious. I love her in movies. And then I like learned about her history and I just, I think she's so fascinating how she grew up in like a half Chinese, half Korean household. But um, her mother who's Korean died when she was young. So she felt like she identified more with the, her Chinese side of self and, you know, kind of grappled and navigated, learning about her Korean side while also becoming this like breakthrough star. And again, challenging the notion of she wasn't doing things just because she was Asian. She was becoming her own person and, and was able to show up as herself in whatever she did. And I really admire that and how she kind of came up with that conception of self. I think it'd be cool to meet her and talk about that. <laughs> Is there yeah. any other shows that, you know, have like a pretty, like a pretty okay representation or like a good representation of Asian Americans that you really enjoy or have seen recently? I also, on the side, love Kim's Convenience because I think it speaks so much to uh, immigrants experience, which are <laughs> like immigrant parents, you know. <laughs> I think authentic representation, you know, looks and feels so different, but I think it, it does like speak to you and your experience. And I think in like, to, I guess to kind of be brief as to why authentic representation like really makes a difference and why I love seeing it is because you can, you don't feel like you are uniquely going through something when you can see it represented authentically elsewhere. You know, with what I grew up, I was like, oh yeah, there are Indians there, but like, so it was Harry Potter is my example, right? Like, yep, there are Indians at Hogwarts, but like, we don't know anything else about them except that they're Indian. Like, that's it, you know, and they're just kind of there um, versus understanding like what you know, like, and never have I ever, like, knowing what it's like to be at home and your mom yelling at you about something where you're like, oh, my friends think something so different, and you know, and kind of grappling with that, right? It makes you feel like you're less alone in your experience, and I think there's so much power in feeling that community, even if it's not direct, 
And it's something that I craved growing up. And so I, I gravitated towards my Hindu Sunday school, towards these Indian people that I met, because I was like, yes, you understand what, you know, this dilemma that I'm having, right? And it, I think it's so powerful to have that sense of community um, represented nationally. And, and then it makes it easier when, you know, for me, it would be like my white friends come and ask me like, oh, what do you eat for dinner? Instead of just saying like, like, I don't understand what you mean by this question and realizing I'm different, you know, in the process of them asking me that question, um, I can say like, oh yeah, did you watch Never Have I Ever? Like, that's an example of this food or that, you know, something where it can also bring others closer to understanding your experience, I think is, is a really great thing. For our students, we always want to make sure that we are fostering curiosity and mm -hmm. especially within the Asian American community who don't have a lot of representation and, you know, oftentimes things are being misrepresented. So we want to ask and maybe if you can shed some light into it, could you tell us how people can ask and be curious in a very respectful manner? if we wanted to learn more about, you know, the Asian American community and culture. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, being respectful and asking about someone's culture, you know, in a lot of ways, I think it just speaks to how do you respectfully ask someone about themselves, right? You know, I think there's a lot of like similarities in that too, where it's not necessarily that there are right or wrong questions to ask. I think it all depends on when and how you decide to broach a subject, right? Like, you know, I've gotten in my life a lot, like, where are you from? which, you know, it, it speaks to, it's a kind of a microaggression to say, like, you are from somewhere different, and I can tell that by looking at you, and I need to know, versus, you know, I, I see that you're probably of a different culture, like, what culture do you identify with, right, and kind of understanding and treating it from an aspect of respect, rather than just like, oh, I just need to know, because you're clearly different, um, and there's something different about you, um, so I think there's, like I said, I don't think there's a right and wrong and like question to ask, um, but I think, you know, recognize maybe your intent behind asking. Is it that you want to know more about someone's culture or you just want to be able to put them in a bucket to say, oh, they're of this culture. Okay, cool. That's it. Right. Um, and I think it also kind of goes with like authenticity of getting to know someone in general, right? Getting to know them doesn't mean you have to know about their culture, right? You can get to know somebody else. There's so much more to me that's outside of my like Indian American identified culture, but yet and one story comes to mind this girl who, you know, one of my students, we were just walking down the stairs one day after school and she turns to me and was like, Miss Tonky, what are you mixed with? And I was like, you know, <laughs> in some ways that could sound like an offensive question to ask somebody, right? Just like, it's like a lot of assumptions boiled in. But to me, I was like, oh no, she just wants to know like how I identify, like what I'm, and, you know, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I actually am not mixed, I'm 100% Indian. And she was just like, oh, yeah, that's what's up. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think there are so many ways you can have a really like authentic, respectful relationship and conversation with someone about their culture and their heritage, even if you're not asking the right question, because I knew her and I knew what she was intending to ask, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that like through this conversation, you can also learn people who get triggered by certain questions and maybe don't ask this, but here instead we can get into a conversation about it by saying like, oh, I'd love to know more about your culture if you want to share, right? Even something as simple and respectful as that I think can help. And I think there's nothing wrong with saying like, hey, you know, I, I've, I haven't met somebody of your, that I'm, I'm perceived, even like, I think, 
I think you're of this culture and I haven't met someone and I'm curious about it. Can we talk about it sometime? Right. Even I think that's great because you're separating that, like that culture from the person to say like, I know you and I want to get to know you, but I also want to know about this specific part of you. And that's okay. Like, you know, it's, it's great to want to know more. <laughs> yeah. My conversation on Asian American identity and representation continues with Fong. My name is Fong Tai Garcia, and my, the group I identify with is obviously Asian American, but um, more specifically Vietnamese American. What was your experience uh, with Asian American representation? I would say not a lot, and what I did get was mostly from the media in stereotypical roles. There might have actually been more Asian representation that I saw, more so than Asian American representation. Growing up, what we had on TV at home would be um, shows produced by the Asian community, Asian immigrant community, Vietnamese immigrant community. Um, so entertainment shows, singing, news, things like that. In Vietnamese media growing up in the US, I saw music, news, culture um, in that representation. Um, people who were recently, recent immigrants um, over time that shaped who I was. What I was exposed to was the current Vietnamese um, community that I would say had more recent ties to Vietnam. And so, so that was the, the kind of cultural influence. When I'm thinking about Asian American representation in the media, what I'm thinking, um, seeing more Asian representation is that the characters portrayed would be more reflective of the countries that they're from. Not so much of uh, recognizing people who um, had grown up in the US. I had many Mexican American friends and classmates um, and also some black, white, and Asian friends and classmates. My teachers were mostly white. So it was just kind of a mix. Do you think representation is important? That, that's a good question. And I think a complex question. It's important, it varies in my mind for, uh, depending on the context. It uh, plays a role in people's sense of belonging. Um, I think it's important in the case where people feel like it gives them more confidence and helps them feel like they belong um, in order to uh, have that confidence to advance. And that varies from person to person, how much each person feels like they need that. I think where it shapes an entire society's perception of groups, then it's important because we want as accurate as possible um, a picture of how people really are so that people don't just have like their assumptions and their um, small or, and, and narrow experiences to shape their perception. So representation is beneficial and essential there. Um, if it's gonna allow everyone to see people the, the way they really are. Um, I think where it is extremely important is when um, it comes into play in shaping policies and has like that 
larger impact on people's lives and people's well-being, whether it's health, economic, um, and, and those aspects. say American, because if we think about California, that used to be part of Mexico and that was annexed to the US. Um, and so do we wanna say that the Mexican American influences on me also make me Asian American, you know? Or wh wh where do we wanna kind of draw those lines between what culture is what? So there I am overthinking it even more. <laughs> You're not. I think um, it's kind of like this intersectionality, right? That's mm -hmm. very much so real, right? Like you were talking about like how, you know, your husband, your husband is of Hispanic. Hispanic he's, he's Mexican. He's Mexican. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So he's, you know, and that influences your family, influences your life. Right. And I just think that's mm -hmm. kind of the beauty of being American because we are such a diverse country, right? Like go anywhere else. Like we don't have that type of diversity. So I don't know, in my mind, I mean, I'm not the person to say this is the end all of, you know, the truth, but I don't know. That's the way I look at it. I just think that, you know, since we're so diverse, these, this intersectionality is bound to happen, right? And it doesn't mean like, oh, I claim your identity, right? And you claim my identity, but it's just kind of like, we are influenced by the culture around us. And if our culture is diverse, right? That makes the most sense, right? Mm -hmm. You can't just be one type or one thing. And I love that you brought that up, you know, because it's like, if those, those are your influence growing up, you know, it's not just being like, if I look Asian, like, oh, that's the only thing I am, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's so important to point out there. And then, yeah. So thank you for sharing that as well. Yeah, I, I feel like it goes back to your your whole concept of this celebration because <laughs> it's celebrating all the different um, experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, and I like like I mentioned even before I um, you know I'm very much I don't know diving a lot into my identity you know because mm -hmm. I think it was so conflicting for me growing up because like I said there's a very like independent individualistic part of me, but then also a very like culturally cultural, um, collectivistic side of me. And they were always at war. And I was like, I had to choose one, like I have to be one or the other, I have to be white or I have to be Asian. Right. And I mm -hmm. think like, as I, you know, get older and just really unpack my identity a little bit, I was like, no, I can, I am both. I am, you know, both. And I can celebrate both of that. Right. Sure, mm -hmm. my language, my Cantonese could be a lot better, right? <laughs> and this and that, but that's okay. I am second generation here and I grew up with English all my life. I didn't grow, I mean, I grew up speaking Chinese, with, I mean, Cantonese with my parents, but you know, so, I mean, mm -hmm. and I think yeah. that's important for people to know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think the language loss, I mentioned it to my sister who's a sociologist mm -hmm. and, and she said that that just, happens a lot with with immigrant generations where I have felt like I've gotten flack for not for my kids not speaking Vietnamese for example you know or because um 
because the idea is you want to kind of pass the language on to the generations and pres preserve the culture. Um, so, so I feel like there's a little pressure there to, to do that. And just with the environment where we are exposed to many cultures that, um, that to feel okay with that becoming us, I think is really, um, reassuring and a positive thing and I think the what we're saying with being Asian American and kind of like opening it up to say that who we are has been a mix of many experiences um, is something that should be applied to to any group right whether or not um, that group's experiences have, have been a mixture of cultures, but for everybody, it's it's a mixture of experiences, no matter what those are. So I, I think it's really healthy to say that um, you are the result of your experiences, right? Because you identify as a certain group, not mean that you have to like fit all those characteristics. And, and that just helps people just belong more. I love that. I love that you like use the word like belong, right? Like I love how you're saying like, you know, there's like, I don't know, sometimes there's like a shame factor where it's like, oh, you don't speak your language, right? Like you don't cook that food or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But then it's like, we are, you know, I've known people who are like fourth generation Asian American and they're like, I don't speak the language, right? Because my parents, right, before me didn't and you know, and then so on, so on. And that makes sense in a cultural sense. And it's like, I love how you're saying, like, we're trying to normalize these generational, you know, not just, you know, Asian Americans, but anyone else, right, who may struggle with, like, keeping the culture, right? And I think a part of that is this American, like, hyphenated, like, community that we are, right? Mm -hmm. So, and you can't compare it to, like, you know, wherever it's like, oh, Megan, your cousins in China, like they speak, you know, fluent Cantonese. I was like, of course, they grew up with it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, like that's an unfair comparison. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and, and I think the word you use, which is shame, is, yes. is the one thing that like I constantly, the, the feeling I have to fight, not, not only externally, but just inside my own mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, feeling but, like I should do more of this and I should do more of that. So you know how you were just saying earlier, right? Like we were talking about how like, you're like, I didn't even think about, you know, bombies and this and that. It's like, regardless, it's ingrained in dust, right? Like I have this superstition where I refuse to um, choose anything associated with the number four because four in Chinese means death. So it's like, mm. like for a random example, like let's say if I was like, looking to buy an apartment and it was on the fourth floor I was like mm -hmm. I don't want that apartment <laughs> or like or if my oh, license yeah. plate has too much like number four in it I don't want it <laughs> it's just like mm -hmm. I mean and I unconsciously it's not like because I am Asian I don't want the number four in anything you know it's not something like it's not a very it's a very unconscious thing because it's just a part of my identity and sometimes mm -hmm. even right like yeah, just like little things that it's already ingrained in us is I think unconsciously is actually being passed down. I think, believe it or not, in my opinion, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that totally happens. And so then once you realize, then it's kind of liberating because like, wait, why do I like 
feel this way about something or or in your case i think it's like why am i not happy with my license plate (laughs) ironically my license plate does have like a few fours in it Mm. (laughs) but that's okay zero accidents knock on wood Wrapping up our conversation on Asian American identity and representation with Ian. Wrapping up our conversation on Asian American identity and representation with Ian. Wrapping up our conversation on Asian American identity and representation with Ian. Wrapping up our conversation on Asian American identity and representation with Ian. Wrapping up our conversation on Asian American identity and representation with Ian. Wrapping up our conversation on Asian American identity and representation with Ian. My name is Dr. Ian Moncrief. I'm assistant professor at National Lewis University, teaching science in the undergraduate college. Uh, and I identify myself as Asian American. Culturally, since I'm not Korean um, with the language or you know, customs, um, you know, I just grew up as the cultures and customs of my parents. Do you think uh, authentic Asian American representation is important? And is, and just kind of a second question following that, is it important or not? And then also asking, do you think the Asian American representation is good for where it is today or there should be still more work to be done with that? Authentic Asian representation is important like media, for example. Um, I do believe um, having Asian Americans, you know, playing meaningful roles in, um, that way, you know, it's not just stereotypes that pigeonhole a group of people, um, like a group of Asians, because uh, there's been examples of really bad, Asian, you know, representations of Asians um, in movies historically. Um, as far as like where it is now, you know, with some of the newer movies that have come out, Crazy Rich Asians, Minari, I think you are seeing a shift in authentic Asian representation. Uh, more Asian actors or even directors and producers are making stories and movies about their childhoods and, and their experiences. Is there any uh, Asian American, you know, it doesn't have to be a celebrity, but like someone, a famous Asian American person that you would like to meet? Um, current sitting member of Congress, Representative Illinois, Tammy Duckworth. Um, I think meeting her would be pretty awesome. You know, she lost both of her legs um, in Iraq, I believe. She was the first um, congresswoman, sitting congresswoman, to give birth uh, to her child. And so I think she's a real inspiration um, to a lot of people. Um, and so, yeah, I think it would really be cool to meet and talk with her. Has there been any other, you know, um, movies or shows that you would recommend, would say, has was also a good movie, but also has, you know, less stereotypical um, things. Yeah, uh, my first Korean drama, K-drama, because my wife Robin was really into K-dramas and I never really was. And, um, but the first one I watched was called A Gentleman's Dignity. 
uh, and I have the soundtrack and it's really fun soundtrack. Um, it was, it was a really good show. Um, and then there's a Netflix show, uh, a movie called wish you, which, um, I think is kind of groundbreaking because it centers around two, um, uh, gay characters. And I feel like, you know, say LGBTQ and Asian culture and community might be taboo still or not really talked about a lot. Um, but that movie kind of explored that and, and their main characters um, kind of centered around, you know, they're both being gay and then also writing songs and music together and connecting and um, discovering that way. So that, I thought that movie was pretty good. I always like uh, Always Be My Maybe. And then, you know, Crazy Rich Asians is like my favorite movie. I'll watch that a lot. Um, and because I can kind of relate to the main character um, in that one where she is in the movie American Born Chinese. So she doesn't really fit in with traditional Chinese families. And then also is she, she's not white enough or American, quote, American enough to fit in with you know, um, the ideals of what it does it mean to be like white or American. Um, so I think those are some good um, movies. I don't read a lot of books. So I'm probably missing out on a lot of literature and that's probably really good. But, um, but yeah, those are just some things that I think of now. So I feel like I do, I did assimilate well within you know, white American culture, you know, since both of my parents were white, I felt like I had sort of um, adjacent white privilege or white privilege by association. So I might've been off, you know, awarded different opportunities um, because of who my parents were and, and, you know, what my dad did for his job. Um, but, you know, as far as, you know, I'm Korean, I was born in Korea. Um, when I went to Korea, South Korea, to visit a friend um, so a few years ago, I felt like I stuck out there. Um, I was kind of an outsider because uh, I didn't speak Korean. Uh, I, I didn't, uh, I felt like my skin color was a lot darker. I, maybe that was because we were in Seoul. And in Seoul, like um, a lot of uh, the light skin, the, the white skin kind of is sought after um in korean culture uh, so you'll see a lot of people that like uh, especially women carry umbrellas because when the sun's out so their skin doesn't darken so you know in my mind i felt like i i stood out in some ways and maybe was insecure with certain things you kind of touch on the fact that like this topic of like, when we are Asian American, we are not one thing or the other, right. right? We're not just Asian or not just American, but we are this complex identity of being Asian American. I do wanted to also ask, how can we foster curiosity with, you know, our students and just knowing that like the Asian American community is so diverse. Uh, how can we have people be respectful to, towards Asian Americans and if they want to learn more about us or our culture or who we are. Do you have any um, you know, suggestions or thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the question of, you know, where are you from? You know, when people ask that, you know, and I, I give us some thoughts to that too. And so I was kind of, um, thinking about the podcast and mm -hmm. uh, 
um, talking about uh, some of these questions with my wife and she brought up, she was in PR and uh, it was somebody who was also Korean and adopted uh, and talking about belonging. You know how a lot of families, uh, they talk about, you know, blood is thicker than water. Like if you you come from my blood, so you're part of me and this and that. Well, I'm not blood related to any of my family, right? My parents, my cousins, my, my grandparents. Um, so our son Ari, who will be two in July, he's like my first blood-related, you know, family member. Like he's my little branch, and I'm like the main, like trunk. So I kind of, you know, you know, when I was younger, I kind of joked, "Oh, my own family tree." Like it starts with me now, uh, and so Ari's like a little branch, <laughs> and um, so I think that's that's. I never really thought about that you know uh, in that context but um now that i do it's kind of an amazing thing like it's a, it's a cool thing mm-hmm.